today on The Breakdown. It's our second World Series of Poker personal breakdown as a bunch of interesting things happen. Jonathan wins some money. Grant doesn't get involved in a cheating scandal, and we play more World Series events. We're going to talk about some interesting hands and some interesting things that happened along the way right now on this non-breakdown breakdown with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy. Nice music. It's good. The fans love that. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, yeah, no, no cheating scandals this time. That was kind of fun to have, wasn't it, last time? Yeah, I love it when you're involved in someone's definitely cheating at oh, your table. Well, I just mean it's like a fun poker story. Yeah, no, of course it is. Of course yeah. it is. Um, so a couple things from the series that have been happening. Jonathan has had the most success so far, chopping an Aria daily, one of their $400 dailies. They get pretty big fields, like 300 players. Yeah. And uh, Jonathan chopped it for about 12K, uh, which was sweet because I had swapped with him. Yep. And that was nice. Um, I got the pleasure of paying Grant about $2,200 yep. as I came home. Like, here's your money. Yeah, let's just be transparent about swaps. Jonathan yeah. and I always swap 20% yep. when, when it's just the two of us in a tournament. Sometimes we swap with our friends Mitch and Robbie and Nick and who's Wonka, you know, yeah. people like that. Um, but that's just how poker is. And it's kind of weird, right? I want to talk a little bit about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too into it, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it sets up sometimes a few slightly weird things. Like, you're almost never at the same table with someone you're swapping with in the kinds of fields we're in. Like, right. If, if, and I would never, like, swap with anyone in a cash game or, of you know, course. or anything like that, of course, right? But when you're playing in a field of, like, 300 people, you just want just to, like, bring the variance down and things like that. It's like, yeah, it's totally normal to swap 10%, 5%, 20%, whatever it might be. And, of course, players do this. All players pretty much do this who are at least... The players who are like serious pros mostly oh, do this. Tell that 5K hand from that 5K event when they were three-handed because that's an interesting swapping situation there the f- with uh, Kristen Bicknell. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so this is really... So um, at Venetian, they had a million-dollar guarantee, and it was a 5K buy-in. By the way, they missed their guarantee by $130,000, which is amazing. Ouch. Alex Foxen, who's one of the top GPI players in the world, I think he's a top 10 GPI player, was playing. They were down three-handed, and his girlfriend, Kristen Bicknell, who's also a big-time player, was still in as well. And, and they're like a th- in a serious relationship. Yeah, yeah. They're really they're together in a serious way. They're not like sort of casually dating. They are they're together. This is my understanding, by the way. I don't know either one of them. So this is from from what I hear. But they are legit together. And uh, they're three-handed for you know for this thing. And first place is something like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something crazy. No, I guess it isn't. I guess first place is like two hundred K. Yeah. But still, it's really weird. There's a third guy at the table who is not them. It's very hard for these guys to play very hard against each other, but this, this table is being streamed out live so everyone can see their whole cards. So they actually can't soft play too much against each other either, even though I'm sure that would be their inclination. Like, you don't want to bluff your sweetheart, you know, in a, <laughs> yeah. for 200K and have her see it later. You know, that's not going to go well or vice versa. So they were in a hand where they're three-way where one of them had jacks and the other one had aces. So already this could be uh, – if the other player had either one of these hands, I'm sure they would have been all in pre-flop almost right. always, right? But instead – Foxen opens with jacks. Bignell three bets with aces. Foxen calls, which is fine. I mean, anyway. three-handed, you're usually going to get it in with jacks. Of course. Even against your, you know, someone who you think is tight and careful yeah. and isn't bluffing you, you're like, well, I still have jacks. Like, right. You could have so many hands I'm beating. Like, whatever. Foxen just calls. Flop is jack high. So he flops top set. It's like jack four or five. Bignell bets tiny. Foxen calls. He's in position. That's fine. Yeah. That may happen. Uh, turn is a brick of some sort or another. Uh, now Bignell checks. Foxen bets tiny. He bets less than the original three bet, even on the turn. Wow. So the pot is really big. Um, Bignell calls. The river is a king. Bignell checks again. Foxen bets 
half of her stack, which is like 15 or 20% of the pot or something crazy he like that. He would always move in in like a normal scenario. Of though. course he would. Um, and Big Nell is sitting there and she finally folds. And I'm sure she folds because she knows that Alex would never in a million years move in with it, put her, make, make this bet with a jack and he can't have ace-king. So he's either got king-jack or her beat. Right. She's got to know that, right? Because he's never going to do that. And it, that's a weird situation that no one can really do anything about. And this is not an indictment of these two players. No, this not at all. This is just a scenario that is kind of unsolvable in poker. It, that like right. People have other people that they are friends with or that they have a piece, uh, like some sort of interest in them winning as well because that's just natural in the poker world yeah. communities are formed and these situations occur and, and you're incentivized not to bust them and in that case especially there's like a lot of emotional stuff that goes with it it's not just the money so I, I mean grant and i work together every day and we have for what five years now i yeah. mean every day but weekends but basically every day like if you and i go deep in the main event we're somehow at the same table and you like bluff me in a big spot like and it's on tv like it could affect our working relationship sure you know what i mean like like, that cost me $400,000, Grant. Yeah. Like, what the hell? You know, so, like, it does create some weird perverse incentives here where, uh, so, but that's, but that's the poker world. Like, people know each other. People are friends. People are dating. And it creates some very weird situations. Yeah. Just something that's really interesting. I don't think there's a solve. I just don't. I don't think there's a legit solve. They could, they could enforce, they could try and enforce anything they want, but you can't stop people from swapping. You can try, but it's easy to do it anyway. There's no way you can stop that, right? You can't stop people from being friends with each other and not wanting to, you know, take each other's money as much as the other people at the table. Right. Even though there's some, I mean, there's been situations where I remember we were at a final table of some tournament. You moved in and I had ace king and I moved in behind you. I remember still looking at you like, oh, now I have to bust Grant. This sucks. But I had ace king and I moved in behind you anyway. And actually you had queens and I won. You won and I was out the next hand. <laughs> but um, but I remember that feeling of like, oh, I don't want to do this. I yeah. have to. My hand's too good. I'm right, not of going course. with this. I'm not folding aces. I'm not folding a premium hand here. But but like the mar- on the margins, I'm probably going to be a little more tight against you and a little less tight against other players, perhaps. I right. also know more about your game. But sure. That, but it's not strategic as much as it's like we're friends. We work together. That does play into it. It's an emotional game. It plays into it. Right. Also, there's swaps involved. You oh, know? That too, right. Yeah, which right. a lot of players have. It's just something yeah. you can't get around. Yeah. Um, speaking of not wanting to be at the... Like, you don't want to be at the table with your friend. In a cash game, if you're not swapping, it's fun to be at the table oh, with your yeah. friend. You're messing around. In a tournament, I really I hate it when Mitch or Robbie or Nick or, or Jonathan is seated at the table. And right. there was actually a Planet Hollywood tournament we played about a week and a half ago where they were starting like three-handed tables because they were just trying to get a huge field because they had one of their crazy overlays that they're always advertising that never actually happens. Um, yeah. And Jonathan and I got seated on the same table three-handed. I was at the to, first, your, to your immediate left. Yeah, on the first table. And so Jonathan even went to the floor and said, hey, just want to let you know that the, that guy's my business partner and we're really good friends and it's probably not like great for the integrity of the tournament to have us three-handed together right away. Yeah. But they yeah. said, eh, it's fine. The guy actually called the supervisor and they said they decided it was okay. Yeah, but and of but course we, we're like, not. We, we didn't like know. try to squeeze the other guy out of the pot or anything. No. We didn't do anything like that. I mean, um, we were only three handed for about yeah. ten hands anyway. Right. It was fine. Like nothing happened. But, but you know, it's not good for that guy. Now we were open about it the whole way, so the guy knew we were friends. We yeah. were very open about it. But still, it's not a really a fair situation for him. And we did what we could, and they decided to keep us there. Yeah. Now, just to be clear, also like if we're in tiny tournaments, like sometimes in Portland, oh, well, we will go after each other. Oh yeah. Now we don't have any. Now it's fun. Actually, if, if anything, yeah. it's like really fun to try and play I mean, but against if, each other. If, if either of us could win tens of thousands of dollars, it starts right. to become a thing where it's like it's kind of messed up to like yeah. take a big shot at this guy. Right. Like you know? find another spot, man. Yeah. Like not your business partner and friend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's you could say that that's messed up too. It's all sort of weird and murky. Yeah. It's hard to know exactly how to go about this. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk a little bit more about your Aria okay, chop. Um, sure. 
It was with five players, right? Correct. So talk a little bit about the deal negotiation and how that went. Great. Um, so I think we started talking about a deal with when there were eight players left. And one of the things Aria does is they, on their board, you know, with the time and the blinds and all that, they actually have a chip amount, or chop amount, excuse me, which tells you if you just chopped it evenly right now, how much everyone would get. Because they don't want to pay the dealers anymore? They don't want to pay the dealers anymore. They're happy to get this thing over with. Yeah. Everyone wants to go home. And, you know, it's always a significant number compared to what you are right now in the money. So people get excited about that. I would, I would be curious to see a study on how effective that is at creating more chops. Kind of like, I feel like the most effective road signs are those speed limit signs that actually tell you how fast you're going. Mm. Like, I always slow down for those. Yeah. I wonder if that's the, the chop amount on the board is like a chop incentivizer in that way. I, I have to believe it's really effective. Also, because usually when, you have, when you're trying to figure out the ICM... Someone has to like take all the chip stacks, figure the whole thing out. They go away. By the way, while they go away, you're usually playing hands. They come back. They tell you what everyone would get, but now it's a little bit different. You know, it's in this way. You just know right away. Well, if we chopped it evenly, it's this much exactly. Right. And so there. So I think it's easier for people to be excited about that number. At that point, it was like seven or eight thousand dollars. There was, um, you know, there were a bunch of big stacks. I was not one of them at that point. I had lost two flips. But um, but it was very clear. Like the very big stacks were not interested, which was fine. Like I didn't really want to chop it. Eight either. No. But unless I was going to get a lot more money than my stack was worth, then I always want to chop. If the deal is favorable, yeah. we'll take it. Right. So so we started talking about it with eight-handed. Uh, a guy busted. We were seven-handed. A huge pot happened, which got us down to six-handed. Um, sorry, sorry. A huge pot, pot happened to get us down to seven-handed. Then, then this one kid on my right was the massive, overwhelming chip leader. It was clear there was no deal to be had. He went out seventh, actually. <laughs> he, he blew yeah, it up. Yeah, he went from, he had 1.8 million in chips. The next highest person had like 800,000. And he didn't like get into one massive pot. You know, he just like got chipped away as we just kept moving in on him as a table, really. And he tried to take on the whole table and failed and was out seventh. So now we're six-handed. The guy who busted him is now the massive chip leader. We're sort of joking about it. The, you know, the chop is now at like 10K or something like that. We're joking about it. That'd be kind of nice. But we know he's not going to do a deal. And he says, yeah, I'm not doing it. We're comp- and I'm actually supporting him, even though yeah. I'm, I think at that point I'm probably the short stack. I'm like, listen, I wouldn't do a deal either. Like, sure. Please don't feel bad. Like, I get it. I would absolutely not do a deal. So we play some more. I'm another guy busts. We're down to five-handed. That, the same guy who was the chip leader bust the dude in sixth place. He's got even more chips. There's still no interest in a deal. It's cool. You know, we've locked up at this point like 4900 bucks. It's pretty good. He's not a $400 buy-in? Yeah. Um, so I'm already very happy with it, but I'm the short stack still. So I'd be, I mean, I'm always open to a deal in that spot. Uh, and then one of the other stacks doubles through this guy who's got all the chips. And now the guy's got all the chips. It's down to like 1.4 million. I'm personally at 900K. And if I'm not the short stack, I'm the second. I'm barely not the short stack. Um, everyone else is around a million. And as soon as that happened, the guy who had all the chips offered us the chop. He offered it to us, which to me is crazy. Yeah. And I even said afterward, because we all agreed very quickly, because it, clear, it clearly was a good deal for everyone else. Um, I said to the, the group after, I was like, you're lucky I wasn't that guy, because I would have offered you a chop, but you would have taken less money. Like, I would have needed, needed like 15, 16K, and you guys could have worked it out like how I got it. Yeah. Maybe you all hand me $1,000 or something like that. You know, I get 16, you all get you know, 11 instead of 12, which probably, I, I imagine everyone would probably have agreed to. Yeah. Um, but instead, he offered the even chop, and so for me, that was an easy yes, and everyone else was thrilled, too. So we all got 12K scores, and it's a nice deal. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Now, there weren't a lot of uh, big negotiations in that chop. It was just it no. happened to flow with the way the chip stacks went, right? Yes. But chopping in big spots is something that, like, over time, if you're in those spots a lot, I think most people are messing it up. Like, most mm. people are not doing it correctly. And 
sometimes, you know, Jonathan and I try to push our edges in those spots sometimes. Not this time, because Jonathan was a short stack. He was just happy to be offered a chop that was even. Yeah, I mean, that is sort of push. Oh, I didn't push anything. Yeah, Yeah, I was thrilled to get that. But there's, like... There's so much to being kind of a jerk in those spots that really is yeah. plus EV, where yeah. you're just like, I need more money. Like, I have a couple stories about that. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Um, the one story that I wasn't even involved in, it was when our friend Rob was at a final table at uh, Chinook Winds Casino in Oregon, where mm-hmm. there were, I don't know, eight players left or something like that, and a chop was offered, and the guy who was the chip leader, who was this like older guy, but yep. he always seems to do well in those events. He does. He seems to know what he's doing in there. He wanted to get to $20,000 yeah. for his thing, and his ICM wasn't worth that. It was like worth eighteen or something. Yeah, and the one of the shorter stacks offered $1,000 off of his ICM yeah. to get that guy to $20,000, yeah. which was crazy. He, just, he was so desperate to chop, and that's the case so many times. If you can allow yourself to not be cowed by the financial differences and actually try to take this in the cold light of logic, like you can have so many advantages during chop discussions because usually there's some scared people at the table and they're more willing to take a chop. And even if you're a bit of a jerk at first and they say no, you're going to end up getting whatever chop was fair anyway if you end up wanting to chop in the end. Usually that's the way it goes, right? People are rarely going to be spiteful and say, well, you wouldn't do it then. I'm not going to do it now. Those people are still money scared. Right. They were before. Yeah, the, the trick is not to ask for so much that people are just like, man, get the hell out of here. I did that once, and I it, remember. Didn't, it didn't affect me negatively. Right, you still ended up making an, uh, an even chop at some point, right? Uh, is that was, the one you're thinking of? Yeah, it was like at the same, same casino yeah. where it wasn't as big of a tournament, um, but so it was a point where I had the second most chips at the table, and we were mm-hmm. forehanded, and an even chop was something like $3,700, and somebody brought up a chop, and I was like, I'll do it if I can get $4,900. Yeah. And... Uh, Three of the the two of the other players were like, yeah, no, that, that sounds pretty good. We could work that out. And the third guy, who was like definitely the other good player at the table, who was kind of not paying attention, and he was yeah. like, okay, yeah. And then and then he was like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. And then I almost got it through. <laughs> I remember that. But then I ended up do, getting a chop for like forty eight hundred later anyway, yeah. where I got an advantageous chop for my stack. Yeah. Also at that casino in that same tournament where I had the queens against Jonathan's ace king. That's right. I did a very bad negotiation of a chop. I tried hard against this. There's this young kid and this other guy at the table. I clearly thought I was better than both of them. Yeah. And I kind of told him that, I which remember, was a mistake. Kid did not like that. Right. Which Jonathan and I had talked about a break. Like, how do we do this? And, he's, yeah. and we're like, maybe I just say this. So I was like, yeah. so the kid kept wanting to chop. And I was like, well, if we do a chop, I'm going to need a little bit more, even though we had pretty even stacks. And the kid's like, why? And I didn't know what to say. So I said, because I think I have a skill edge. Right. Which and we can't say. It turns out you can't say. No, well, the kid didn't like that. Well, you have to say. It tur- so the thing that you're supposed to say if someone asks, by the way, is you come up with the reason you need the money. Like, oh, really? That's a really good way to do it. So like if you're at 8K, it would, 8K would be a fair chop and you were trying to get 10. Like you could say like, because uh, I, I need to buy into the main event. Like I need to have 10K to buy in the main event. Yeah. So this is my main event buy-in. Like any reason at all is good. Like um, there's a guy who plays in Portland. Uh, I won't. I guess I won't say his name. I was going to yeah, say, it, but I won't it. say. But um, I was at a final table, and we were talking about a chop there. And he claimed I, this may even be true, but he claimed he had some sort of you know financial obligation to the government or something. He had a certain bill he had to pay, and so he needed more money and was acting like he absolutely had to have that to make a chop, which makes no sense. No, it's a poker he's tournament. Buying into the tournament, right? Not like, like, expecting. like there's no reason. To, it's not like why. Well, I, I, of course, I'm owed this money, you know. But he's like, no, I have to have this, otherwise I can't do it. I didn't give him any extra money, but other people did, and we ended up it facilitated the chop. And uh, so I think you just there's a there's psycho- psychological um, thing that was learned a long time ago in a study, which is 
if you ask for things and say because, yep. it doesn't really matter what the reason is after that. You just have to say because. So you can say, I need that money basically because I need that money. Right. And that's pretty much people are like, oh, okay. But yeah. you can't say because I'm better than you. They don't like that. No, that didn't work out. Um, it only works if they acknowledge themselves that, that you're better than them. You know, and then yeah. you, but even then, you shouldn't be saying it, right? No, no, that, that kind of pisses people off. Yeah. Rightful, just a, rightfully so. I just didn't know what to say in that moment. Yeah. I was trying to justify it oh, in no. like a logical way. It was years ago and we yeah. were trying to figure this out. Yeah. Even just saying, I just need, need 16000 yeah. And they're like, why? I'm like, I just do. Like, yeah. That's okay to say that even because, because I feel like I do. You yeah. know, based on my stack and everything, I just feel like that's what I need to make a deal right now. You don't have to be any more than that. But even that, that's what the old man did basically yeah. in Robbie's tournament. And he got his 20000 Yeah. Which it was, was amazing to watch. Quite impressive. I couldn't believe it. If I was at the table, it would have not happened, I'm pretty right. sure. I mean, I wouldn't have given up any yeah. money for that. But even <laughs> our friend Rob at that point gave him like $200 to yeah. like make it. So and I was shocked he did. Yeah, I was know? shocked. He too. was probably the best player at the table. I was really surprised. Yeah. Um, but anyway. You know what would be a good chop? What? If you got like 40% of the chips when you have, you're three-handed. and you get like Or 40% of the money when you're three-handed. That'd be good. Yeah. You know what else is good at 40%? What? 40% off delicious beef jerky, Jonathan. Oh, that is good. Now, let me reiterate. 40% off beef jerky, which is an expensive premium product. And we're talking about tailspin beef jerky. Which is high quality It's really jerky. good. We've eaten a lot of it because yeah. they sent us some and it yeah. was delicious. Yeah. Uh, you can go to tailspinjerky.com and order however much jerky you want. And when you check out, use the offer code POKER in all caps for 40% off. You should buy a bunch of beef jerky. Honestly, it's, it lasts forever. Why not? Does it really last forever? I mean, that's the whole point. It was like settlers on the Oregon Trail made jerky because it lasts. I'm just saying forever is a oh, mighty for, long okay. time, son. It lasts a very long time. How about that? So like Armageddon happens. There's yeah. a nuclear Armageddon, right? Uh, the cockroaches and the beef jerky are all that's left. Yeah, okay. basically. Just checking. So at least those cockroaches will have something to eat if you use the offer code POKER at <laughs> checkout when you go to tailspinjerky.com. A little bit about tailspin jerky. Uh, it's just beef jerky. They don't do yeah. other stuff. They only have three flavors, so you don't have to rack your brain and figure out the flavors. Who wants more flavors than three anyway? We got original, we got spicy, and we got teriyaki. My favorite is the spicy. I I'm a teriyaki boy myself. The original is really good, too. And they're all really good, and they're all very high in protein, 20 grams per bag. So take it on a hike, take it on a bike ride, uh, you know, run around the block, and then eat some tailspin. I mean, you got some protein to spare when you're eating tailspin, Grant. Yeah, you got some protein to spare. It is genuinely delicious. This yeah. is a super cheap price. Tailspin wants you to know that the reason they're offering this to you is because they are not good at business. Yeah. And so you should take advantage of people like that, right? Tailspinjerky.com is a place to take advantage of bad business. It's sort of like when you're doing the swaps, right? Yeah. It's like we basically <laughs> said to Tailspin, we need 40% off for our customers. They said, why? And we said, because we need 40% yeah. off for us. Yeah, because, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know I, got, I got to do it. Yeah. So our, our listeners are, are good enough people, smart enough people. They need the 40%. Tailspin buckled. We got him to buckle, Grant, and they gave the 40%. You're, you guys are lucky we're negotiating on your behalf <laughs> when it comes to beef jerky. So, you know, fill a closet with beef jerky at tailspinjerky.com. Offer code POKER for 40% off. Yeah, uh, it helps the poker guys. We think you'll really like it, and it's a great product. Good. Excellent. Okay. All right. What Moving other on. things have been happening at the series, Jonathan? What other things? Well, uh, I definitely played a few very interesting hands. I'm sure you have as well. Sure. Um, we both played in the double stack. Mm-hmm. Didn't Which work out. The 1K... World Series event with unlimited rebuys and 10K starting stack instead of 5K, which is normal for a 1K event. Yep. Um, what else? I don't know. Besides, I've just been playing a lot of tournaments personally. Yeah, let me tell you my bust-out hand from the double stack. Good. Uh, I think it was always going to happen, but it, the question is, should it have happened that way? Mm-hmm. Or could I have made it happen a different way? Okay. And let's. And how did my opponent play it? 
the answer I don't. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, I had been very tight for about a level and a half, but I had 40 blinds. It was 500 big blind. I had about 20K to start the, the hand. And I had two black kings in the hijack. That's pretty good. Yeah. I was excited about that. I opened to 1,300 at the 500 big blind. The small blind, who's a very active player, calls. The big blind calls. The flop is 10-6 deuce with two spades. Check to me. I bet 2K. And the small blind raises to 5,200. Now, I started the, the flop with about like 18.5. Yeah. So the big blind folds. The question is, what do you do with two back black kings here? The only options, of course, being move in or call. Of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, my initial thought is we're in position too, right? So that's pretty yeah. nice. I would probably call because we're in position. If we were out of position, I'd probably just shove it because I wouldn't want it to go check, check on the turn. I'd be really concerned about that. Sure. Um, there's no card I'm really afraid of. I guess an offsuit ace is slightly poopy, but that shouldn't play into it. I mean, he could have the nut flush draw, but fine. Like, we're getting it anyway if he has the nut flush draw. So, right. like, I would call with the intention of trying to get it in on all turn cards, basically. Um, that would be that. So, I think that's what I would do because I'm in position. So, I can't miss a bet. I'd be really concerned about scaring off his pretty okay hand, like his one pair of hands that he's overplaying or playing badly. I don't really like think this guy is, is check raising one pair of hands here too often, but maybe he is sometimes. Okay. Um, well, he's I, also. I don't want to. Pro- I mean, go ahead. He's a little bluffy, so that's a reason to call as well. Yeah. Let him continue on the turn. Uh, I ended up moving in, mm-hmm. which felt obvious to me at the time, but. In retrospect, I think calling was also an option. Sure. I'm not sure which is better. He ended up calling with 8-5 of spades, which is nothing. What like was the board? 10-6 deuce, two spades. Wow. No so, straight So he just had then. the naked 8-high flush draw. That's so bad. You could have the ace-high. You could have the nut flush draw for sure. He played it really bad. Yeah. Like, it's so much better to check-raise the turn all in or play it a different way than this, at least. Yeah. You know, like, this is just really bad because... Against my range, he might be getting the right price to call it off here for the additional 13k, but it was also for like the majority of his stack. It's a it's a horrible way to get most of your stack in in a, in a well structured event. I think it's actually even okay to check raise you on the flop, but he can't check raise call it off. He's got to check raise, hope you only call, and then shove the turn himself. Like he's got to take the last aggressive action one yeah. way or another, right? Yeah. So that would that could work too, but like this is this is an abomination. It's very bad. Yeah. He did call it off, and he rivered a spade. Yeah. And even I even had the king of spades. Uh, so really that, was sad. that was sad because I was going to have 80 blinds like yeah. pretty late on day one in a very juicy soft event. I, I've, I myself have run very poorly against flush draws in all in situations this trip so far where like I get it in with sets uh, and they just have the naked flush draw, nothing else. And they get there. I got it in yesterday in um, the Aria, not the Aria, the win 550 with aces against. Well, I mean, he thought he had overs in a flush draw. It turns out he just had a flush draw immediately got there. You know, it's just like it's just been happening a lot. Um, that's OK. You know, eventually that's going to work out the other way, I'm sure. Uh, here's, a, here's a story, a good story from uh, the, the ARIA tournament that I ended up chopping five Is this ways. the bubble story? This is the bubble story, which also involves a flush draw. So okay. that's why I'm going to tell it. This is my f- one of my two favorite hands that I played so far this, uh, this trip. Okay. So we are 30, there's 37 players left. 35 players get paid. So we're two off the bubble here. Actually, we're one off the bubble, I guess, technically, right? And uh, I get moved to a new table. I fold my under the gun first hand. The next hand, I'm in the big blind. I have a quarter million in chips. Everyone else at the table has about 100,000 except for one guy who's got about 350,000. And he's in middle position. He raises. The blinds are 2,000, 4,000. He makes it 10K. Uh, I'm in the big blind with the ace-7 of clubs. This feels like a very easy call. Yep. I call. The flop is king-10-4 with two clubs. So this is a 
really nice flop for us. Uh, I check. He bets 10K again. And I, I think for a little bit, and I decide, uh, I could call here. I could decide to just call, play you a could. lower variance spot. But I decide, you know what? It's the bubble. He doesn't know anything about me. He hasn't seen me be aggressive. He's, I don't think this guy's ever, I've never played with this guy that I'm aware of or anything like that. So I decided to check raise to 26,000, hoping to end the hand right there. Uh, planning to fold to most three bet sizings, unless it's really tiny. Uh, so, you know, it's like, let's see what happens. I hope this check raise works out. <laughs> and you check raise to? I check raise to 26,000 after he made it 10. I've always questioned that sizing whenever you tell this story. Yeah. Like, you think it should be more? I feel like it probably should be more. Yeah. Um, I guess I was trying. You think it should be like 32? Yeah. I wonder, you know, honestly, I may have even done it to 32. Every time I tell this story, it always feels like with this combined with the turn sizing, it always feels wrong. I think I wrote it down wrong, honestly. Okay. Because I end up sizing up the turn in such a way that I'm like, can I really do it that way? I don't know. I have it written down as 26. It's either 26. It may have been 32 because that's literally the number that's been in my head every time I tell this story. I like 32 better. I do too. At the same point, I don't know if I'm folding out a significantly different amount of his range of 26 to 32. You're fairness. folding it out later more, more frequently yes. when you're threatening more of a stack. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Um, he calls, and he calls relatively quickly and easily. Uh, the turn is the seven of hearts, six of hearts, excuse me, which changes nothing. Sure. Right? Like, it's so weird for anyone to have anything here. Um, that, that, a six, you know, yeah. or sixes or anything. I guess he could have pot, pocket sixes. I doubt it highly. I think, and I decide, well, we're going to have to clearly bet again. Like, I'm not going to check fold this hand. Yeah, that would be bad. That seems horrible. So I bet 53,000. And I feel like this is, this is a sizable bet right now. This, is one yeah. of the, this may be the biggest bet I've made so far in the tournament, or one of the biggest bets I've made in the tournament, certainly without being all in. Right. Um, he thinks for about two minutes and calls, and honestly, he looks pretty comfortable again, which I don't love. So you started with 250K, and you've put in about 90K? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It ends, I guess I must have been 32 because I know what happens on the river, yeah. and my number is such that I, I, ended, yeah, I put in about 90, 95K. Okay. Is what it is. So, okay, let's assume it was 32. Okay. The river comes. It's the queen of hearts, which shouldn't change too much unless this guy's holding out with king queen exactly. I honestly think I fold out king queen on the turn. And when you, you know he doesn't have ace jack of clubs because you have right. the ace of clubs. Exactly. I'm the only one who can have ace jack of clubs. Yeah. I'm the only one who can have ace jack. Yeah. I have the nuts. He doesn't. I'm right. very aware of that. So I'm thinking, do I want to pull the trigger or not? Like, because it's basically all in. I guess I don't have to go all in. I could bet most of my stack if I wanted to. Well, it's such a disaster. You started the hand with like 60 blinds to, yeah. to bust on the bubble with 60 blinds. Well, we're, on still, a bluff. we're still two off the bubble. Yeah. Until, as I'm thinking, the floor man says, dealers, hold up, hold up. At the, end of this, at the end of whatever hand you're in, do not deal the next hand. And I know that means we are now on the bubble. Yeah. We're legitimately on the bubble right now. And, and I, the other he, guy knows it too. Yeah, the other guy knows it too, for sure. Um, I can tell just by the way he carries himself. He knows what that means. So I think this feels like a pretty clear spot. So I move in for 153000 And he goes into the tank. And as I'm sitting there, I think to myself multiple things. Number one, this would be a pretty dumb way to go out. Like, wow, I still had you know a lot of blinds. So you were on the fence about making this move, and then the floor announced the bubble, and you were like, it's perfect. I was like, this, is even, this makes it even better. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool. I like that. Um, also, uh, I just feel like it looks super strong, right? Like, I know I can't bust him. He knows I can't bust him. Why in the world would I move in? Sure. How can I move in? You could severely hurt him, though. Oh, I can hurt him badly. If I, yeah. So I was really aware of that. Like, he does not want to lose. He still has a massive stack. Right. And if he loses this hand, he won't. He's going to be like everybody else. That's got to matter to him. And when he has no knowledge about me at all, like, I don't know how he can call. And I was just hoping he didn't snap call. Like, if he has got... 
a set of kings, he's going to snap call me, right? Yeah, it's possible that he's just playing a set like this. Right. That is in the realm of possibilities. Although on a two-club board, it's less likely. A lot right. of players are just going to raise it at some point. Usually the turn they're going to raise, yeah. right? So I felt like... I felt like he really had ace king. As I was sitting there before I showed up, I'm like, he just has ace king, right? Like what or aces. Those are like the two hands he has. I don't know if he I don't Hopefully think he can not call. King Queen. Yeah, hopefully not. But I think I usually fold out King Queen on the turn. I don't think he can call. Honestly, I don't think he can call. So I moved in, waited like three and a half minutes, and then he shoved his his uh his cards into the muck. And it felt amazing. <laughs> yeah. ter- he told me later he had a jack queen of clubs, actually. So he rivered a pair, but he had the huge combo draw that you were actually way ahead of. You had like the nightmare hand for him. I did, but he played it in such a way that he lost the maximum rather yeah. than he's almost always going to win the pot if he plays that hand aggressively. Like I am going to fold to raises, to re-raises on the flop mostly. And certainly if he raises the turn, I'm not calling. You know, right. It's the bubble. I'm not doing it. Like I'm just hoping he goes away. So that was pretty remarkable. Like, Wow, he's supposed to win that hand. Or, or let's say we even get it in, you know, on the flop, which I don't think we would very often. Maybe he, maybe he raises small, and I'm like, oh, I, don't, I think I'm just going to move him in, and he's yeah. going to have to fold aces and ace-king and stuff like that. And he calls with the queen-jack of clubs, and then he, gets, he hits the queen on the river, and I'm out. Yeah, when you had, like, so much equity. Like, that's what's supposed to happen. Some, some version, either I just fold or that. Those are the two things that are supposed to happen. Instead, I was now the guy with 350K. He had 250K, and then I just started blowing the bubble yeah. after that. The <laughs> ultimate nightmare hand for the queen-jack of clubs there, I guess, is ace-nine of clubs, but right. ace-seven of clubs is pretty close. Pretty, pretty good, too, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that happened that way because, yeah. you know, 12K. 12K, man. That was nice. I enjoyed the 12K. It's pretty sweet. That guy also was, by the way, was part of the five-way chop, so he was very happy, too. Oh, it good. all worked out. Good for him. Yeah. And good for you for thinking about Nitrogen Sports Poker Room. Yeah. I knew you guys were thinking about that. So of course I they were. thought I would bring it up. Of course, if you use the link in the description of this podcast when you sign up for Nitrogen Sports, you get some sweet stuff, which is... Playing a tournament. <laughs> no, is, you get to play a tournament every month. It's a very good tournament. It's an amazing tournament. It costs 0.1 millibits, which these days is like 75 cents or so. And there's a 100 millibit guarantee, which these days is like, you know, 750 bucks to 1,000 bucks, whatever, depending on the price of Bitcoin. But it's, you would need 1,000 players just to make it so that way you're, you're breaking even or nitrogen's breaking even on this. But we get like 65 to 70 players, people. Yeah. So it's just like free money. They're just giving it away. We don't know why you wouldn't play. Also, you get to play with the poker guys who play in this event as well, although we may not be playing at the end of June because we might be playing events. Yeah, we're going to be World playing Series. World Series events. But, but every other month we play it Other too. months we do it. It's the last Sunday of every month at noon Pacific time. But you have to use the link in the description of this podcast to sign up for Nitrogen. Otherwise, no for you. No. And you know what? Nitrogen has other great things to offer. They yeah. have a gigantic sports book and other casino games. It's a great place to spend your money and win some money. Yeah, you don't just have to spend it. You get to take some home with you. Yeah, and by the way, when you do, it's very quick. The withdrawals are yes. very quick, and they're very cheap, such as free, two, two, one a week free? Is that what it I is I think right it's now? one a week free, and after that, it's 0.1 millibits, which, like I said, is like 75 cents. Yeah. You can withdraw as much as you want, and it, you, these days, it takes about an hour to get your money, unlike those other online sites, right. where it takes days. Yeah. So it's so much better in so many ways. We're huge fans, and these guys are solid guys, too. We talk to them all the time. Yep. So get on there. Get you some poker. Get Use the link in the description. Poker. Yeah, all right. All right. So, one more hand of mine, which is another bust-out hand. Sweet. That's all I'm talking about, because I have had one cash so far in the Millionaire Maker, yep. which you guys are probably aware of. Yeah, we talked about it in our last yeah. uh, show. So, since then, zero caches. A little sad, but, you know, there's still time. Lots of time in the summer. Oh, yeah. I'm expecting a bracelet or two by the end. Sounds good to but me. But for now, let's talk about this bust-out hand in a non-bracelet event. In fact, in that same Aria $400 event that Jonathan played, although it was the day before, but it's the same, same event. Okay. Same structure, same type of field, where 
I, I feel like the field is soft in these tournaments. Sure. And uh, I've been cruising along. We're at the 5K Big Blind. By the way, Arya and Wynn are both doing Big Blind Annie, which is so good. Yeah, we are completely sold out. So much better. Like playing the double stack, which is not a Big Blind Annie, after playing like three or four of those, it was just tilting once the Annies came into play. I felt like I was using a fax machine in the age of the cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming the World Series will eventually switch all of their stuff to Big Blind Annie or or Button Annie. They have to by next year. My thought is the main event's going to take a little bit longer because it's like the traditional big event and they, they'll take longer to like Maybe. grease the wheels of, of the goliath that that, that is you mm-hmm. know um but yeah it's, it's definitely the way to go it's the wave of the future anyway this hand happened where i was feeling good with 190k at the 5k big blind mm-hmm. and then a table broke and some new players got moved to my table including a huge stack a guy who had 450k yeah so you make a lot of assumptions when you see a huge stack late in the tournament. Um, they may not be right. Maybe he's coolered some people. Right. But this guy was like young with a hoodie and like had the look of like the aggressive player. So seems like a guy who's been doing it through aggression. That's just my j- initial hit on him. Yeah. You know, um, first hand he sits down, he's in the hijack and he opens to 13K, the 5K big blind. And with my 190K on the button, I have ace queen offsuit. And I think it's immediately kind of a weird spot. It's, Definitely too many chips to get in against a conventional player. Of course. We don't want to three back get it in. Flatting kind of sucks because we let the big blind in and we miss a lot and just have to fold. Because yep. if this guy is actually really aggressive, I'm not just going to float him on the flop without actually knowing for sure that he's betting all flops. Mm-hmm. So three betting has its perils, though, where like he might be the type of guy who just puts out two giant stacks when somebody three bets him because and, and, he's this aggressive guy. Right. You know? but, well, you could just three bet fold, though. I could three bet fold. That's possible. I mean, I think to me, though, the bigger peril than just like three bet folding, which is, I think, the standard play there, yeah. um, is to three bet, get called, and have to play a pot where you now feel obligated to continue. And if you don't fold them out on the flop, right. now you're playing this big pot with ace queen high. And do you want to like take more shots at it or not? And that, like, this is how I sometimes I end up losing my stack, isn't exactly in these types of spots right. where it's like, I, I down bet the flop. When I say down bet, of course, I mean like I bet less than my original three bet. And the guy called, and it's like a jack-high flop, and I don't know what to do on the turn. Like, sometimes I fire, sometimes I don't. I don't know. Like, right. It's like both, both feel terrible to me, you know? Yep. So. And I, I felt like with my stack size, all preflop options feel terrible. One might be better than the other, but they yeah. both feel terrible. I, I Personally, I think uh, ace-queen has got to be a raise most of the time there, I think. But, but I, it's not crazy to flat. There's certainly some value in flatting against the seemingly aggressive guy yeah. with an underrepresented hand where he's going to barrel a lot if you, if you think that's the There's case. There's also some nice metagame things that come out of that where he's like, oh, this guy's going to three bet me. I can't just open all I want you know, in late position. You're like, he, may, yeah. he may slow him down even a tiny bit. Even if you have aces, you know, it's, people talk themselves into crazy stuff. Like He gets three bet right away. He's like, oh, maybe you're going to yeah. give me trouble, so I don't, I'm going to have to tighten up a little bit, which would be great for you. True. Anyway, I decided just to flat. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to add three bet fold. It just felt poopy. Okay, you know. I mean, I hate three bet folding. Yeah, good. It hands. sucks. I hate it. Uh, I flat, and nobody else enters the pot, which is nice. Yeah. So that, that part worked out okay. And we get the ace high flop. It's pretty good. It's an ace jack four flop rainbow. Yeah. And he c bets twenty k, which is a bit big in this stage of the tournament. Most oh. players are betting, you know, about what they bet pre flop. How big is the pot? Uh, he raised a thirteen k pre, okay. and I called so it was like thirty k in the pot. Yeah. Yeah, 20 is a little big. Yeah, yeah, 20 is a little big. But obviously, I can't fold. Nope. With my super underwrapped ace here. Can't fold yet. So I no call. Chance. It turns an offsuit seven. So it's full rainbow now. Yeah. And he immediately reaches and bets again. He bets 40K now. Ugh. And it's starting to get a little bit crappy. Like, he might play ace king like this, certainly. He would play ace jack like this. He'd play jack jack like this. 
He might have 4-4, you know? He might play ace-10 like this. If he's not playing ace-10 like this, we're in real trouble. We kind of well, need him to be playing ace-10 like that's this. That's not really my thought at all. My thought is, if this kid is actually this barreler guy, it's not yeah. really... I need him to be playing worse value like this. I need him to have, have a lot of, a lot of air. Yeah. yeah, okay. Which, my perception of him is that he probably does, but I don't know for sure. Right. It's hard to know. But that, right. That's the thing about him, is first hand at the table. That's what really sucks for me. Yeah. I don't see how you can fold on the turn. No, I don't think I can. So I call. Yep. The river is an offsuit nine. Okay. And he moves me in for the remaining 120K in my stack, which is effectively a pot size bet. That's not a good spot. So this is the real spot where it's like, do you call it off or not? It sucks. I'm underrepped. Resist yes. the call. I'm underrepped. This guy's at least physical image and the fact that he's playing his first hand at the table very aggressively led me to believe that he is an aggressive player who yeah. is like trying to bully people. Those, those things say call it off. Mm -hmm. Things that say fold are, this hand isn't really that good anymore. Right. Like, there's a lot of hands in his range that beat me, most notably. I mean, there's not a lot of combos. The, the one combo of ace-ace, the uh, three combos of jack-jack, all the ace-jacks, which there are fewer combos because I have an ace, of course. Ace-nine, possibly. Ace-nine, possibly. Cause I don't know he, if he's going to bet the turn there. Like not that, a, I don't think ace-nine, but ace-seven, yes. Okay. Because the turn was the seven. Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of discounting ace nine. I think he's Fair checking enough. the turn a lot. Maybe pocket sevens. Maybe maybe pocket sevens and pocket fours. Yep. Which is, I listed a lot of hands, but combinatorially when I have an ace is actually not that many hands. So, I mean, if he's just, the only question is, does he have air or not? If he can have air, he can have a lot of air. Yeah. Not that many people are capable of triple barreling on an ace high board right. without it. But some are. Some are. I, I will do that sometimes and have it really not work or work. But most people are not. And so... It's tough if you don't have any information about this guy where you lose to, at this point, all of his value. Right. And like, if, he doesn't have ace queen anymore, right? And, and if I assume this kid is good, which I have no idea if he's good or not. Yeah. But let's say for a second I assume he's good. It's a pretty sweet spot to bluff. Like, I am pretty capped here unless I just, like, right. I'm often raising two pair plus. Yeah. At I some agree. point along the way. I agree. So like, he's like, you have one pair. How can you call? Like, this, 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 the distribution argument is strongly in the favor of not folding, right? Yeah. This is maybe the best hand you can show up with unless you get lucky and rivered a I, nine. I do sometimes slow play like a bottom set on a dry board like okay, this. Okay. But, but one yeah. of the very best hands yeah. you can show up with is, like, you, maybe you can have ace nine um, yeah. and have held on on the turn. Right. It's possible. I probably maybe fold you ace nine on the turn, but. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, if you can have bottom set, okay, but there's not much. This is right up near the top. Yeah, I, um, bottom I, set's of course an easy call anyway. Yeah, and ace king is like a much more likely three bet for me pre flop because I'm comfortable just five bet jamming it if he decides course, to go with it. Of yeah. course. Yeah. So this is a weird thing where it's like you beat no value. Very few people are going to take this line as a bluff. That you know. So we. Yeah. So it's it's. It's the kind of thing where if you were up again, if this was an old guy, you would probably would have folded the turn. Honestly, I would have folded the turn if it, like this is where the table image of somebody matters a lot. Yeah. Like I would have absolutely folded the turn against an old guy who seems like he's just tight and doesn't know what he's doing. If he just sat down at the table, I mean, and stereotyping in poker is is a thing you have to do in live poker, and you're not always going to get it right. Yeah, uh, I so. mean, it's weird because, uh, yeah, like you just need more information. I think I think in in a good scenario, we'd have more information before we decide to make a call like this, right? Yeah. Um, before we call off our tournament, where we still have some, a significant amount of blinds, right? Right. I mean, not, not a huge not, amount. Not You're going to be 24 a, blinds, yeah, right? Like, yeah, it's not amazing. But you, still, but you went from, what, 38 to 24. It's not the end of the world. Like, right, you, but it's you're also, good with 24 blinds, obviously. You're but really this is good. something we've talked about in some ICM spots, and then we realize like, the stack thing. Like, the upside of calling is pretty good and being right. Like, Humongous. I, I have almost 100 blinds. 
at that point. And, like, now, you, and now you've crippled that guy too. Yeah. I mean, it's a. Huge I mean, I have like eighty five blinds. With Whatever. Money. I mean, it's like now you can boss the table, and this like it's possible. This is the one, the hand that wins you the tournament, right? Like much like my ace seven of clubs hand, yeah. Like that propelled me to the final table. Like other things happen along the way, but having that stack right there, winning, winning instead of losing that hand, not giving up on the river, is I really believe the reason why I made it to the the chop at the end yeah I, I think it's a really close spot and like yeah. in the past i've often found myself folding in that spot but this time i decided to call it off and he did have the ace jack yeah so he had the top two that he flopped and it makes the most sense it's it makes, jack jack or ace jack right? yeah it makes all the sense in the world i just i went with my table image read yeah i would have folded to some players it's fair uh, yeah. i mean i feel like when i talk about hands like this i say yeah you have to fold in practice i probably call more more often than i fold in this kind of a spot exactly because i talk myself into i'm underrepped and i don't like being the guy who folds pretty big hands in those right. i don't like folding near the top of my distribution i'm not i don't i don't think that's a good way to play even though it probably is in this spot <laughs> but like so I, I feel like i don't make this fold enough if anything i want to i want to have all the chips in the tournament i right. still i'm still unsure that it's a bad call i mean obviously the yeah. result is bad right it's possible that he is triple barreling with a lot right. of stuff it's possible know? he is um i would say in practice even most most players even good players are just not triple barreling very often here right yeah um but the really good players have it in them to do sure. it for sure alex fox and the guy who uh who won that the 5K, the 5K um, is a guy I played with last year in the Millionaire Maker. And on the day two, he opened an early position. I defended queen 10 uh, in the big blind. The flop was 10 high all spades. I didn't have a spade. And he triple barreled me and triple barreled me all in on the river. And I was for a for like he was he had me covered and it was I sold a lot of chips. And I just sat there and was like, I didn't know who he was, but I could tell he was good. You yeah. know, I could just tell the way he carried himself. He was he was a good player. And I just remember saying to him, I know you're capable of bluffing here. I know it. And so I put the chips in with one pair when I beat no, I said, I beat no value and I knew it. And, but he turned over, he said, King high. And I was like, yeah. Right. Because so you're I, Alex Fox. And I, like, I didn't know his, I knew his name, but you know, like you're, you gotta be, you gotta have, not have it here a lot. Right. So it's interesting because results even, they matter so much as far as our assessment of a hand, because yes. if the guy just mucks, it looks like, of course you call with ace queen on the river there, right? <laughs> like everybody I does. I don't know, but we might, it might be much easier to say, well, it's the top of your distribution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But cause you, you be a similar argument. He just turns over the nut flush and you're oh, like, yeah. of course you had the nut flush. What are you doing? You idiot. Well, like, the thing I remember thinking even then was like, is this guy so good that he's just doing this with an over? repair so if he's just doing this with like two jacks or something like that this is a freaking disaster yeah like i need him to be super have a super tight range of value for me to be able to make this call right and i finally was like i just don't he just doesn't have to have it here he just doesn't have to have it so i so i called but um yeah and these are things we can't know right, right? unless we unless we get alex on the show and talk to him and ask him lots of questions or get your guy on the show and or watch him play a lot we just can't right. know and it reminds me of when we talked to christian soto about playing his hand against hashtag king and we're like how can you make that play it was so crazy where you check raised all in on the turn with top, one, with one pair for value and he one of the things he said was i've been doing commentary on this guy for two days i'd watched every hand he played i knew all about him i knew if he's like if i was beat it was very unlucky yeah you know so like he had so much information to be able to make that crazy above the room play and you know without that much information i don't think he would have done it yeah so i think there's probably a good argument to be made for um discretion is the better part of valor um at least a lot most of the time in these spots but once in a while you make these calls like i made that call against fox and 
10 hands later, I picked up aces against queens, and suddenly I had a huge stack, and it carried me through all of day two of the, of the Millionaire Maker. You know? Yeah, I mean, so, it goes both ways. The inflection points. Tournaments have those moments that you think back and remember, and you're like, wow, if that hadn't gone my way, I really wouldn't have done well in the tournament. Right. You know? right. There's these few big pots you play, and it's just like everything comes down to that. Like, were they bluffing or not? I yep. had top, top. Were they bluffing or not? Like, I'm always getting it in here, but every time they have value, I'm dead. Right. I, I always think back to level one of the event that I final tabled the bracelet event last year and got fifth. Mm. Level one, I had a hand where I doubled up like 20 minutes in with ace, king of spades against pocket eights. When I three bet, he four bet for some reason wow. with pocket eights. I flat and the flop. I flopped the nuts, but he flopped the open-ended straight flush draw with his pocket eights. So. And he goes whiff, whiff, and I win mm-hmm. and double up. But I was just out of that tournament if he hits one of his two outs there. Right. You know, it's just over. And you could also go running full house sometimes. Too. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, you have incredible equity in that Yeah, spot. and like, and the way that tournament went for me, from then on, I just kind of cruised with like right. a reasonable stack the rest of the way. Right. And that just set me up, you know, and that's just like a moment that happened. And it changed everything. And, you know, getting these big stacks in tournaments like I had in the RA and like you had at least through a lot of your run last year in that event um, means that, like, you can lose the flip. You can get unlucky in a spot against a smaller stack, and it hurts you a little. It doesn't end you. Yeah. Right? Or it doesn't cripple you. You're just like, oh, that hurts a little. Okay, I lost a flip. I still got a lot of chips. I can still keep doing all the stuff I'm doing, and good things will keep happening. People are still going to fold to my three bets. People are going to give me more walks. People are going to fold more to my, you know, late position raises, all that stuff, because they don't want to get involved. Yep. And I had another one in that same tournament where under the gun was Nacho Barbero. Mm-hmm. He had been very active, which made it a little easier, but he opened under the gun in my big blind. And this guy who was like, it was his first World Series event, but he seemed competent. And he kept talking about it. He was from Israel. He was a really funny guy. Um, he three bet the button. And I was in the big blind with kings. And I was like, and I had like 40 blinds. Mm. And I was like, I guess we're going with it. But it kind of sucks to lose. Like, because at that point, there were about 50 players left in the tournament. as like a $4,500 payout. Yeah. You know, it's like a $1,500 event. It's not that great to go out here with 40 blinds. But. What can you do? You got to go. So I four bet the kings. Luckily, Barbero folds immediately. Yes, you need that. Yeah. And the screwed. other guy moves in quickly. And I'm like, I hope it's the queens. Yeah, like and it I, was. And it was the queens. And all of a sudden, I was a top five stack in the tournament with 50 right. left. You know, like he could easily just as easily have had aces. It's right. just one of those moments, you know. And by the way, he has queens 15% of the time you're out anyway. Yeah. Right. I mean, these are these are those big inflection points where you end up winning, what, 94K or whatever it is. Yeah. Instead of forty five hundred dollars. Right. Ninety thousand dollar thing. The fact that he's got queens instead of aces or he doesn't hit a queen. Obviously, yeah. there's other things that happen along the way, too, of course. But like that, that does matter. It matters hugely. And it sets you up like you're yeah. saying. And the play. And so one of the things I've been doing this trip is looking for spots like that that can set me up. This is like sort of why I moved in with the right. uh, A7 of clubs. I'm like. Wow, there's a lot of money in that pot now. Yeah, and like, if I lose, it sucks. But if and but I, but I sucks. But like, the bubble's eight hundred dollars. Right, it's not the end of the world. Um, I, I can afford not getting eight hundred dollars. It would be stupid. If, and it wouldn't be stupid. But it would look stupid. You would I'd, feel kind of crappy on I'd the be drive like. Home. Well, what did I? I really didn't have to do that. You know, I've said that to myself before. But if I win this pot, like holy moly, this could be one of the pots that matters for the entire tournament. And indeed, it was. Yeah. So I look for those big pot spots now as an inflection point and then push my push it a little bit in those spots. Well, I'm excited to do a little bit more on this trip because we've got a lot of poker left to play this summer, sure Jonathan. Including the main event. This is yeah, I'm excited for I'm really excited for I that. I know you are. But this is coming out on Monday. Um, we're recording it on Wednesday. Hopefully by now, Jonathan and I are both on day two of the Monster Stack, yes. which is the next big event we're going to play. The event, of course, that our housemate and friend Mitchell Towner won two years ago for $1.1 $1. $1 million. Indeed. Yeah, so 
Maybe we can get some advice from him on how to do that. <laughs> that would be great. Um, if you want to see more about us at the World Series and get some pictures as well, we're putting out our World Series vlog. It's coming out on the regular. Right now, it's on our YouTube channel. We've got a camera crew following us around, cutting together some cool videos. Much nicer than the videos we normally make because they're doing all the work. Yeah. We're paying them. They have a drone. Yeah, they've they got like, these cool shots of stuff. Some really pretty stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so check it out. Of course, it's free. It's on YouTube. And it's very obvious. You just go to the Poker Guys YouTube channel. Yeah. Anyway, we will uh, hopefully be winning all the money. And we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. We're out.